0: Welcome to the Proactivity Podcast, where we celebrate stronger, happier people through better health, from the gym to the workplace to the community and everywhere in between. We hope you enjoy listening. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Everyday Extraordinary. I am your host, Eric Eisenhardt, and today, um, as, as we often do, I have a very special guest that I'd like to take the opportunity to. Introduce uh, a guy who has certainly had an impact on my life and many of the folks here at proactivity who have come to know him um, And and certainly uh, the folks I think in our area of the world that have, have come to know him as well And that is my friend Deacon Mike Meyer. So Mike welcome
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: It's great to have you my friend.
1: Yeah, good to be here. A little nervous, but uh, we'll see how this goes.
0: <laughs> nah, you'll do fine. I've, I've seen you get up in front of people, you know, way more uh, than, than people that are going to tune in on this, no doubt, so.
1: Y- yeah, but I'm not usually questioned by you.
0: That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Right. Know, and I've actually, I spent like the last few weeks really thinking about how could I tee things up to really make you squirm. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we'll see what we can do here. Oh, no, right you now. know enough, so. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. So, Mike, when we were talking um, as a team, you know, we we often either someone gets nominated to uh, to kind of be on this show. And, and as you know, the show has really um, been about highlighting really positive stories and positive people, but maybe people that aren't so often highlighted in the traditional media. You know, we push this out on our podcast, we push it out on our social media channels. And, you know, what we wanted to make sure we did was, you know, take the opportunity to highlight what we consider, um, you know, everyday kind of quote normal, I'll put that in quotes here. (laughs) Um, But, but normal everyday people who are doing uh, and achieving extraordinary things. And, you know, when, when we were talking as a group, I said, you know, my friend Mike would be a a tremendous person to have on the show, because I think, you know, in so many ways, you've figured out this way to kind of, um, walk a path that is, is very spiritually full, um, but also uh, kind of going down what maybe many of us in society would determine as like the successful path of corporate job and you know wife and kids and house and all of those different things that pull us in so many different directions. Um, so I thought that you know we, we could take an opportunity to chat a little bit today and as I always do, I always ask people to to kind of almost take it way back because I don't know how, I mean, I, I can't say it for sure, but I, I doubt you woke up when, you know, you were six years old and said, you know, I want to be a deacon or, or whatever. So kind of, you know, take us back through the, the, the road, so to speak. And, um and bring us to today, I guess.
1: All right. Um, th- there's, a, there's a bit of a story there, and, and that kind of falls together here um, in place. So um, I was the kid growing up that everyone said was going to be the president of the United States. I love politics. I was really engaged. Um, I, I, everything that, you know, sort of my plan through um, high school and certainly even college included, uh, you know, a lot of coursework, uh, international relations, and government was my, um, was my minor, and uh, language was my major in college in that. I, I moved to Washington D.C., lived there, worked on a presidential campaign, you know, all those sorts of things, and um, uh, w- totally thought that, that that was the direction I was going to go in. Became a lawyer, and not so much for the politics; I, I, I did it for the, the career and, and and what that was going to to lead me to. But but uh, really enjoyed enjoyed politics quite a bit. And after um, we were married and had Caitlin, our first child, I realized that politics is rough on a family. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this can wait. You know, let the kids grow up, finish school, be in college or beyond college, right? When they're adults, then they're not going to get dragged into that sort of nastiness of politics. And I was totally good with that. The story was still there. I still had the goal, you know, everything was great. It gave me more time to prepare and get active and, and that sort of thing. And then, um, after Annie was born, we had moved up here after Annie was born, I was now out of the Washington environment, and I realized I'm not cut out for politics. Mm-hmm. I am not um, personally strong enough to take that kind of criticism. I take criticism really hard, you know always always mm-hmm. and i I didn't the my nature w- wasn't right for that type of uh, of an environment and that was really crushing it was really crushing so now i'm removed physically moved from washington to new jersey from that environment that i was thriving in and then the goal is gone right hmm. something that gave me purpose and direction was gone the way i was going to serve was missing and it so happened that we moved here to a parish that at that time had one deacon, Deacon Bill Bauer, a great inspiration to me, still serving with us. And I knew of deacons, but I was never in a parish that had a deacon. Mm. And so it was the first time I saw a deacon in action. And I very slowly, it was over several years, but very slowly I started to realize that the qualities that I thought I brought to politics were qualities that would serve me well as a deacon. Things like, I am comfortable talking in front of a lot of people. Right? I love to learn. I love to study. So the schooling, I went to law school at night, so going to diaconate formation at night was not daunting to me you know, in, in that way. And so um, I could do the schooling. I love to learn new things. I love to teach. People things right and all of those qualities I started thinking you know was would, would be suited to the diaconate and so then I started reading you know tons about it about a million books sitting right over here on the shelf still um, for when you're ready um, and uh, um, uh, you know started learning about it and it just kept clicking you know and they say that in discernment you know you know as the yes keeps coming back and then ultimately I talked to my wife about it. And while she didn't, my wife is Jewish. And so she didn't know a deacon from anything. And so trying to explain that she could also see in me those quali- qualities that would lead to it. And and ultimately it led me to where I am. So uh, it was ordained in uh, 2010. I just had my 10th anniversary, believe it or not.
0: Congratulations. Uh,
1: well, thank you, thank you.
0: So. Wow. So, you know, I, I think often when people think, deacon they I don't know maybe maybe I'm just being um, biased here which is entirely possible but I don't know if um, many people think deacon and lawyer and married to a Jewish woman all in the same you know story so that's very you know kind of interesting um you know tell us a little bit about how how all of those kind of worlds play together.
1: Um, So I was raised in an ecumenical family. My father was Presbyterian, and my mother is Catholic. We were all raised Catholic. My siblings have sort of gone in different directions. One considers herself Catholic, one considers herself uh, Presbyterian, and one, uh, my brother considers himself, he is uh, evangelical, uh, free Christian. And so you got kind of the whole mix there. So I've always been around different religions. My wife's Uh, family was Jewish and Catholic and so the mix of religions has never it's it's never been that's my life I mean that's just the way it's always been uh, in my life and so all of these things, I look at them, and, and I, I look at this you know, even down to every single person that I meet. I'm learning something from them every time I meet a new person. And it's all of these aspects of my life are feeding each other, right? The diaconate feeds them, but they also feed the diaconate. And that's actually what, uh, what they call pastoral theology is, right? Or practical theology is a better word for it, right? When you take the learning, right, the theology of it, the academic aspects of it, and you apply it to real life situations, but you also take real life situations and you apply them to theology, I'm sorry, you bring them to theology for theology to consider, right? And it's supposed to be the symbiotic relationship and that's how it is with our lives. And I think that's where being a deacon is, in, it works extremely well in being a deacon because a deacon means servant, right? And we are the servants of the church. We are an ordained ministry of servants to the church. And so we participate in liturgy, um, we we uh, do we, we administer some uh, sacraments. Uh, we preach, we teach, uh, and we do charitable works. The deacon is very much intended to have one foot in the church and one foot out in the community. We are intended to be working full time. We're intended uh, and expected to be out with our families and doing things. Most deacons, most permanent deacons, which is what I am, um, are married and have families, right? All of those concerns make, they, they inform my ministry. They inform my way when I'm doing, um, uh, when I'm doing counseling for somebody, right? I'm bringing in my own life and things that I've seen and I've heard as well into that. Um, so, you know, everything is a resource. You know, the world is like the greatest library that you could have. And you're, you can pick up, pick up uh, any book off of the shelves and whether it be that beautiful sunset that you see or the experience at coffee that you had with Eric Eisenhart, right? <laughs> and uh, you, you, you pick something out of that and you apply it to the next things that you're dealing with.
0: That's very cool. Very, very great perspective. And you know, something you said, which I I just think is is so amazing is this, um, this capacity to learn from all instances, and then reapply it in different areas of the world and, and different kind of worlds that I guess we live in. Um, You know, so you also live in a world of, I I would imagine, high pressure, high stakes, um, healthcare, you know, attorney, Tell us a little bit about that world. What do you, you know, what's kind of like your day job?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I'm an attorney uh, with United Health Group. I am uh, the lead attorney covering our areas for compliance, ethics, privacy, and corporate affairs, which is a large department that includes uh, government affairs, external affairs, communications, marketing, those sorts of things. So it's a pretty big, a pretty wide uh, portfolio. And um, I'm, I'm sort of the guy that you go to when you've got a problem, you know? And um, I was just talking to my boss yesterday and we were commenting on how many of the things, you know, many of the things that come to us, it's, it's largely in that ethics realm. And that ethics realm doesn't neatly fit into a legal world, right? Uh, it's not a legal requirement, but there is a right or a wrong. And deep down, we know it, right? We just have to call it out of people. One of the com- most common questions I, I ask people when they come to me with the question is, why are you asking me the question? Right? Why are you bringing me that question? Because I know they know the answer and they want assurance one way or the other. You know, they they want to be able to do it. So my day job you know, is, is I talk on the phone a lot. When my kids were young, that's what they would say. You know, What's your dad do? He talks on the phone. I work from home, so they, they, they could witness that from time to time. And uh, I talk to people all around the world. Um, I'm on WebEx's, I'm on the telephone, helping people solve problems. And this is one of the things I love about being a lawyer, and, and I, I, I referred to it earlier. The reason I went into it is, I was looking for a field where I would always be learning. And the law is always learning. I can tell you with this COVID stuff, I learned a whole lot, a whole new new fields. In fact, we're we're expanding our group a little bit to cover some more areas as a result of it, um, and uh, uh, taking on you know those new things and those those new challenges. But you know, in the end, as a lawyer, you're a teacher. You have to go out and research and find answers, and then you have to help the business people understand where the limitations are you know where they're where they can do what they want to do where they're going to find their guardrails right and help them find solutions with if they wanted to do x and it's not going to work out that way on the legal side or the ethical side how do you help them get to a place that fits nice and squarely in that legal and ethical
0: side so in some ways and and maybe this is uh, in all ways if we kind of take it all the way back you go down to dc um, you didn't mention it, but, but Georgetown undergrad, Georgetown law, correct? Yep. Yep. So a a real, uh, dummy on our hands here today. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, in fact, side, side note, side story I'll share with our audience. So, uh, my brother, Mike and business partner, Mike, we have kind of a funny saying, and I think this Mike on, on the, uh, the show here today knows it. And and it is that when, you know, when Mike Meyer walks into a room, he's the smartest guy in the room. It doesn't matter what room he walks into. So it's always fun to kind of nudge and pick on, but also give you kind of those backhanded compliments a little bit, Um, but uh, it's it's totally true. So, you know, growing up uh, you're gonna be the next president of the United States or so says your peer group, you know, passion for politics, but it sounds like passion to serve maybe. Mm -hmm. um and well okay if you're going into dc and you're going to that world it only makes sense go to school down there and you know kind of entrench yourself in that culture um but maybe realize you know i don't have the thick enough skin to to kind of live in this world um so now you talked about goals and you talked about well that goal is now gone so like man well, what's my new goal? Like, where's my purpose? It sounds like. And you kind of found that, um, whereas the passion for maybe politics and service, you know, a life of public service, went and channeled into a life of, of service, uh, both in your profession, it sounds like you're serving your colleagues um, as an attorney, kind of keeping people beti- between the rails, as you had mentioned, but also in your, your ministry and kind of your other you know, full-time job, um, which I'm I'm sure is only one of many, many full-time jobs, because I know you're a, a very devoted dad and 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 a spouse as well. So, but it all kind of comes back to this concept. I think it comes back to this concept of, of purpose, and um, you know, I, I I know that you've told me you're a lifelong learner, and and you mentioned before that's that's a that's a passion area for you, and and I think it's something you've been exploring even deeper this concept of purpose yeah, um so share a little bit about that with us if you don't mind
1: sure so um several years ago when i was in diaconate formation uh, on separate occasions two of my professor professors repeatedly kept bringing up a book victor frankl's man's search for meaning okay and it wasn't assigned to us but they said it enough that i thought you know there must be something to that book. So the summer between classes, I picked it up and I read it. I was totally blown away by this book. So the long, really short synopsis is Victor Frankl was a um, psychiatrist who had developed a new method of psychotherapy uh, This prior to World War II. And then he was captured by the Nazis. And when he went into the concentration camps, he, he took the manuscript, the draft manuscript, and he sewed it into his coat to hide it. Well, during when he was moved, ultimately, to Auschwitz, they took his coat and they burned it. And during the course of his time in the concentration camp, what he observed proved his theory of of psychotherapy. And that theory is based upon meaning and purpose. So whereas Freud, for example, would say that human beings are motivated by pleasure, and where Adler would say human beings are motivated by the will to power. Frankl says, we are motivated by the will to meaning. We need our lives to make sense and have meaning. And he sees it as absolutely fundamental that anything else comes with it. If you have meaning, you can, get, you can get pleasure, you can get power in that. And he finds that meaning when we transcend ourselves. When we turn into ourselves, he says, it's like the boomerang. The boomerang only comes back to you when it misses its target. So when we turn to ourselves and we look at your ego, egotistically, right? That's not where we are supposed to be and we're not gonna be happy, right? We'll be happy when we're outside of ourselves. So he finds meaning in broad categories, in creative work, in doing things, it could be your job, it can be creating artworks, et cetera, projects, whatever, creative work. In um, the next one is experiential, uh, which is um, encounters, both with people or experiences in life. So loving relationships is the perfect example of one, right? Where you're giving yourself lovingly to another person. But in encounters, it could be that sunset that I mentioned before. It could be standing, you know, as Henry Nouwen did before, a Rembrandt painting and having a total you know, spiritual experience of this painting of the prodigal son. And those encounters in life, right? So uh, whereas um, the creative work is what we give to the world. Right. The experiential is what we receive, what we accept from the world, and we can find meaning in that as well. The third category, which distinguishes Frankel from pretty much all of the psychologists who who follow this uh, today, which is in a group called Positive Psychology, is he finds meaning in suffering that when you don't have the opportunity to create and you don't have the opportunity to experience because you are stuck in a suffering, and it has to be an inevitable suffering. If, it's a, if, it, if you can avoid it, your purpose, your meaning is to do the things necessary to avoid the suffering. But if you are in inevitable suffering, say you're, you're diagnosed with a, a terminal disease or something like that, right? Your attitude is the one thing nobody can take away. And that meaning is your attitudinal meaning. You can find value in the way you face your challenges. So Frankl in the concentration camp saw in himself this desire to find his wife who unfortunately was killed but to live so he could see her love. The second was to rewrite that book. And what he did was he wrote down notes on scraps of paper during three years in the concentration camp. Right? And that became his actually his second book. Man's, first, for Man's uh, Search for Meaning, which is the, the book that I had initially read, was his first book, but he wrote it in nine days during 1945 to try to give people hope out of that horrible experience, right? that we can find meaning out of this mess. But his, the book he actually conceived of um, uh, was The Unconscious God, and uh, that he had rewritten on scraps of paper he stole here and there. It gave him purpose, it gave him meaning, and he lived, and that's what he found. The people who had something, a meaning, a purpose, had the ability to live. It gave them, uh, I, can't, I can't describe, i can not a psychologist or, or a medical doctor, but it gave them that strength both physically, spiritually, and mental, mentally, all three, to survive. And he could say, you could watch the people who gave up. You knew when they lost their meaning, it was days until they were dead, and it would either be they would engage in risky behavior, right, and and put themselves, you know, in harm's way, or they became physically sick and succumb
0: to it. Wow! So this is where the uh, mind blown emojis. I think people are kind of hitting those right now. That's, um, you know, that, that's not the boring emojis. No, nah, no, I think we're getting a lot of those mind blown emojis. We'll get that on the social media feed. Um, so. Man, is that just so fitting for what is going on in the world right now? There you go. I mean, crazy to think there's so many people, you know, suffering at some level, people having lost jobs, people, you know, sick, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, people knowing other people that are sick. And, you know, there's something you said in there. um, You talked about purpose and you talked about how uh, purpose influences physical, spiritual, mental health. Um, And, you know, you you also kind of – we started the conversation with, you know, diaconate, and we, you know, uh, servitude, and, and all of these different kind of spheres, and they all have this kind of underlaying of, of purpose, you know, and I think the interesting thing that, you know, you and I have talked about before is that purpose is not like one religious, you know, right. kind of way, per se, it, it kind of underlays all of it and it maybe i'm kind of jumping here a little but but it is that connection with you to the outside world Mm -hmm. um and and that you know we always talk about our elements right move fuel recover endure connect but we always say connect actually starts first right right so that connection Mm -hmm. we have outwardly you know we're not looking inside first look outwardly maybe in your world it's service. really sets the tone for everything else. So uh, expand on that a little bit, because I don't know, I may be way off the mark here, and maybe you should no, bring no. me back between the rails. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no,
1: you're, you're, you're actually right on there. So so we go to the world of spirituality, so back to Frankl, you know, one of his huge contributions to psychology, which psychology is not comfortable with yet, is that humans are not just biological and psychological, they are also spiritual, right? So he adds, the spirit to the the wholeness, what is the wholeness of the human person. And he's very careful to say that you don't, spiritual is not necessarily a religious definition. There are people who are religious and they can appropriately define it that way. But atheists are spiritual too. And that takes me uh, somewhat to a Frankel d- defines it, but to Philip Sheldrake, who is a, um, a very well-known theologian in the area of spirituality, he, he gives a very nice simple definition of uh, spirituality, which I simplify even, even more, which is connected, con- connectedness, right? So if you think about it, um, every person, whether you believe in God or not, is connected to other people, whether you wanna be or not, right? So if I come walking in uh, to base camp and walk straight toward you, I'm gonna bump into you. I will be connected to you if you don't move, right? That's a connection no matter what, right? You hear people, you see people, those are connections whether we want them or not. And so we are connected clearly to other human beings. But also to the world around us we breathe the air that is is right around us right we see the trees we see that sunset that i'll bring up a thousand times over right all of those things is a connection to the world and those who believe in god or a higher power right it's a connection to god and that higher power so we have this transcendent spiritual nature about us and i firmly believe that whether you're atheist or not we have this transcendent spiritual nature and that calls us Outside of ourselves, and that's why that thriving in the connectedness, uh, connectivity, uh, as we, we talk about through uh, through your elements uh, at proactivity, right? That connectivity is then an essential part of the health of the human person, right? And that's what Frankel is saying, right? That the point I was making about you know the, the boomerang only returns when it missed the target. Where we're going to be thriving, we're going to be the most human when we are acting outside of ourselves. So if you really look at Any person, right? It's nice to say, oh, Mike, you know, you serve, that's so great, wonderful. Okay, Mike's great, but guess what? It makes Mike happy, right? I get something out of it. And so you look at all of the people, every person out there who's got something, you know, if they're happy and they're engaged, let's parse their life and you're gonna see that they have purpose. And it is, as you said, Multiple, there are two types of purpose, meaning in life and meaning uh, of life, right? Meaning of life is that grand scheme. It all fits together in a big story. In religion, we'll call that um, uh, you know, God's providence, right? And that, the, the, the big plan. But meaning in life hits us every single second, right? When we're talking about meaning in life, it's that very individual to you and to me, it's separate for us. We each have our own purpose, and that changes from moment to moment, to hour to hour, right?
0: Wow. Mind blown emoji. (laughs) You know, Mike, you, before we got on the, the, the show here today, um, I don't know, maybe it was at the beginning of the show, but when we connected earlier, you said, I don't know why you would have a guy like me on here. Um, I'm thinking our, our listeners, certainly every time we have a, a good heart to heart, um, I, I reaffirm, uh, just how everyday extraordinary you are. So I, I hope that you realize that um Thank you. before we kind of wrap up here um you know if you could kind of share one message with our listeners or kind of sum it up or kind of tell people like give some free advice type thing um certainly you're a guy that's qualified and has given advice to a lot of folks i know you go and you uh you serve in the prisons and you've done all sorts of different things in our community to help those uh, in need and, and maybe even not in the traditional sense of need, but help people along the way, myself included. Um, I, I hate to kind of put you on the spot, but actually, I know I don't hate to put you on the spot. I'll put you on the, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. It's your um, pleasure
1: to put me on the spot.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like my, that's my purpose in life. See that? There we go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're happy.
1: Look at that spot. Yeah,
0: see? I'm <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what, uh, what would it be? What would you tell people? Um, kind of tuning in here.
1: You know, I'll stick to that that theme that I had. So, I, you, I, you know, I just finished a class on psychology of meaning, so I'm I'm knee deep in this and I'm, I'm going to be taking that into my theological studies. And what I can tell you is both from that uh, experience with the class, what I learned in that class, but predominantly for what I've seen in my own life. Um, what i 've seen in the lives of the people around me, both those in despair and those in absolute joy in life, and then include in that group everybody in the middle uh, there as well, is you know we all are have an individual human dignity and value, every single person contributes to the good of this world in a certain way and if if you 're at the lowest of the lows, you know, call me call somebody, talk to somebody, because you're not appreciating how valuable you are. I'm going to get all misty now. You're not appreciating how valuable you are and what contribution you can make. And we all go through our low times and the down times in life. And there is always the opportunity to find meaning and purpose out of that and to to surmount it and achieve from, from, from there. And, you know, you know, this, this is exercise, Eric, you know, if we take our life and we put it on on a timeline and you have a straight line in the middle of the page and the bad things in life, you put down the bottom and the good things in life you put on the top, what you will almost always see is where you have the lowest of the lows. The next thing is one of the highest of the highs, or at least it's in a trajectory going to a highest of the high, right? We can, God can always make good come out of any, difficult circumstance and is offering to that, offering that to us all of the time. And so if I have a message to people is, you know, find what you're passionate about, find what gives you purpose and meaning and you'll be happy.
0: I love it. Love it, Mike. Well, as always, my friend, it has been my sincere pleasure. I I certainly hope people tune in on this one because I think uh, those that do will walk away uh, thinking, contemplating, and uh, and finding another another step forward. So, as always, thank you for your time, and uh, I look forward to putting you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> Here again, uh, down the road, on, on Everyday Extraordinary. You're certainly one of those people. So thanks.
1: Thank you. It was great being with you.
0: All right. Take care, bud. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. We hope you'll follow ProActivity on social media or check out www.pro-activity.com to keep up with the latest happenings. See you on the next one.